as the children are dismissed, I was thinking as we were singing that last song, the text of that song comes from us from Lamentations chapter 3. It says this, it says, But this I call to mind, verse 21, And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. This isn't the message. It does kind of go along with a little bit, but it's interesting. That's verse 21 of the chapter. When you read all the first part of that chapter, it's not that same thought or that same tone from Jeremiah. In verse 1 it says, I am a man. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Talking about God's. He says, I have seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He, God, has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He, God, has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He, God, has broken my bones. God has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. And that is just through verse 6. And so all the way through verse 20, we see this, that this calamity and what he understands to be coming from the sovereign hand of God, then he says in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because he learned to trust in the character of God. That if something bad was happening, it was because of the sovereign hand of God that would use it for good. And great is his faithfulness. And his mercies are renewed each morning. That's where that song comes from, is this text of Scripture right here. Um, powerful. Powerful. Because the world, uh, we, we are not going to have an easy life in this world. We just will not have that. And does that mean that God is a bad God, or He's not a good God, or He's not gracious? No. It means that His character needs to tell us how to interpret His actions. And here, the character of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, it says in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait on Him. The goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, that is, when we understand that to be who God is, when we go through trials like Jeremiah was early in the chapter that helps us worship God through those things. So with that in mind, let's go over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and verse 12 through 14 will be the text that we spring from this morning uh, as, we, as we go through our, our time in the Word together corporately. Let me remind you that Philippians, like Colossians, is a book that Paul wrote when he was in prison. So Paul was not sitting at a comfortable desk. He was not sitting in a, in a nice, quiet library full of books at his fingertips and with plenty of paper and pen in his hand and, or, or, or ready to, uh, to work in a comfortable way. If we were going to put it in today's uh, vernacular, we'd say, you know, he was not sitting in a comfortable chair with a nice cup of coffee or, in my case, hot chocolate right there and, you know, with a... Uh, uh, you know, nice uh, environmentally uh, controlled room, a climate controlled room. 
This is not where he's at. He is in prison here. He is, he is probably at this point being chained to one of the best guards of the land. He was someone who was in prison for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so when he wrote this, he starts writing back to the Philippians to encourage them and to give them an understanding of how they should live and what they should be doing. And so we come to verse 12 here when he says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me, talking about his imprisonment, talking about his being beaten and all those things, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That is the word of the living God that we will focus on this morning. In your outline, in your, in your little pamphlet in a bulletin there, you see that the title of the message is Being Thankful Even Though the Check Engine Light is On. My, I think every car I've ever owned, I have gotten to the point, and usually it's even from one time I bought it, that I just drive with the check engine light on. Um, I, the way I look at it is that if it's going to get serious, it'll start buzzing at me or something like that. Um, and I say that teasing, but um, I remember the first car I bought uh, when I was uh, 16 or 17. I uh, bought it with my brother. Uh, we went halvesies on it. We bought it from, from some guy, and I can't remember what we paid for. It was like four or $500 or something. It was a 1985 Ford Escort. It's a two-door. Okay, your eyes are laughing already. Okay, <laughs> you have a lot of confidence in Ford. I see. Okay, all right. So uh, I, I was driving this thing around, and, and it, the, there was it was rusted out, and um, the uh, there was a hole in the in the floorboard in the back, and kind of right where the exhaust was at. So you can you can figure out why that's a good thing. And it was a hatchback, and so I remember as I'm driving to school in the wintertime being so cold and the windows all up and looking in the rearview mirror and just seeing this haze of smoke in the back of all the exhaust being poured into the car. And so, so you know, some of you are like, ah, this is why you are the way you are, Jeremy. Okay. Um, so I would have to ride, drive with the windows down and, and, um, and go through it. And th- this car, I mean, it, it got me around, but it had these quirky things about it. It was a manual transmission, and so much I, which I, I enjoy driving stick if I can. But uh, I remember that came in, in, in real handy for, for me because there was something with the electrical system. We didn't know what it was. We could never figure it out. But just some days, it just wouldn't start. It just, it just wouldn't start. And so, hey, no problem. I've got a, uh, a manual transmission, so you can just pop that clutch and go. Well, see, the thing was is that I went to school in a different city. I went to a small Christian school that kind of on, on the other side of the track, so to speak, okay? And so I was on the side that, you know, I was driving an Escort, okay? <laughs> and so uh, an old beat-up one. And, and all my classmates, almost every one of my classmates, their parents had given them a car for their 16th birthday and things like that. And so I was coming from two different uh, socioeconomic situations there. So I would drive over there every day if the car made it. And then um, after school, I would pray. I would pray that the car would start. And sometimes God was very gracious and merciful to me. And then sometimes God showed me humility and said, no, I'm going to make you push start your car in front of all your class in front of everyone else. And so I'm out there by myself. I don't know if you've ever push start a car by yourself, but by me, running across the parking lot, pushing this car, jumping in, popping the clutch, and then figuring, oh, I forgot to turn the ignition on. Got to do it again. So <laughs> turning the ignition, you run back the other way. So I think I pushed more miles on the car than I drove it, okay? 
Um, you know, so cars to me, it's one of those things, you know, it's just, it is what it is, okay? And, and I enjoy cars to a degree, but, uh, you know, if it gets me there, I'm happy type idea. So, you know, most of the cars I've had have not been, you know, just like, no one has stopped and, and stared. Well, no, that's, that's not true. They have stopped and stared, okay? But, but not because they were envious. Let me put it that way, okay? Uh, they were always saying, I'm glad I'm not that guy, okay? So, so we have this, this situation where, you know, even my car right now, and I'm thankful for the cars that God has given to me, my car right now, if you would turn it on, check engine light time. Um, and, and it's some of these things, so I have this constant reminder that, hey, you don't have a perfect car, buddy, you know. This constant light is just staring at me. I was, it was this last week, I was driving, and I was like, man, this engine light's on, you know. And I've had people look at it. Danny Orloff, he was very gra- gracious to me, and, and he got his little gadget thing out and plugged it in there, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's an O2 sensor, you know. And it's like, you know, yeah, I've heard that a lot. And every mechanic that tells me is like, yeah, it's an O2 sensor, I keep driving it. So, okay, I'll keep driving it. Um, does anyone know what an O2 sensor does besides Danny Orloff? I think, I think here's the purpose. Okay, you do. Okay, you do. Uh, here's what I think it does. It tests to see if the check engine light is working. That's what I think it does, okay? That's, that's, that's the purpose of an O2 sensor, okay? And so, and so, you know, it's like you just keep driving this thing. Now, it, it, in some ways, in some ways, these are just little annoyances. You know, oh, man, I got to get this thing fixed or whatever like that. You know, we live life constantly with O2 sensors or, or going out or check engine lights on all the time. We've got constant reminders that things aren't perfect or things don't go well. Really what we could say is we could say this is a passage here that Paul's talking about. He's thankful even though circumstances are not ideal. Now think about it, the things that happen to you and me are, are all the time that, that we get a little frustrated by when the weather doesn't cooperate with our plans. You know, Fourth of July weekend, you know, we're so glad we got some vacation time. We're going to get together, we're going to be outside and everything. And then it's just pouring rain the entire weekend. Or, uh, or, or, or other things, uh, something like, you know, maybe you wanted to get a raise and you put in for a raise and you got denied for the raise. Or what about, what about going to the grocery store and you, you, you need two things, you need two things. And you get those two things and it's like every person in the world needed to do their monthly grocery shopping that moment and the lines are i mean just infinite you know and you got with your two items you got to wait it's frustrating because then you take that same scenario and you see that the store has 45 checkout lines and three are open (laughs) okay (laughs) you know uh these are all little things but here's the thing too often they rob us of our joy and they rob us of a thankful spirit. Now, Paul, he had much seri- more serious things going on than check engine lights and, and long lines and not enough uh, people helping him. Maybe you have more serious things. Maybe you're dealing with a job situation, a loss of a job or loss of a loved one or health problems that plague your family. Maybe there's more serious things. And I don't mean to make light of your trials and tribulations that you go through, but I will say this, is that far too often we are too quick to let circumstances rob us of the joy and gratefulness that we need to have in Christ Jesus. You know, if, if, if you want, you know, you, if you're taking notes, you can just write this reference down, 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29. In that text, Paul, he's forced to the Corinthians to, to really defend his apostleship and, 
and prove that he is someone who can teach them what to do because they had begun to question him. And so he starts giving his pedigree and what he's gone through. In verse 23, he says, I'm a better servant of Christ. He's, he's having to defend himself. He says, I'm talking like a madman. He says, for far fewer labors, uh, uh, with far, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from uh, all the other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? He gives a list of what his life was like since becoming a Christian. And he had several of those things that could have robbed him of his thankfulness and joy. But yet we just read that he is in prison right now. He is chained to a guard right now. His freedoms have been taken from him. He cannot do the things that he would want to do. Most likely he wanted to preach. He wanted to go and minister to people, but he was stuck there. He could not go anywhere. And yet he says... And he displays a thankful spirit here, and he says that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul's life was not easy. The New Testament is full of examples of us being commanded to be thankful even when life isn't nice to us. So how can we be thankful in bad circumstances? If it's something as simple as a check engine light or something serious as dealing with chronic health issues, how can we be thankful during this time. A lot of times during the season, the Thanksgiving season, it's very, uh, we think of thankfulness in terms of just think about all the good stuff. And that's a good exercise to do, and you should do that. But how do you have that same attitude the rest of the year and when things are not going as well? How do we live a thankful life when check engine lights are flashing before our eyes? Well, I believe there's two principles that I think we can take from this text here that will help us with that. Number one, thankfulness becomes easier when we acknowledge and embrace God's sovereignty. Thankfulness becomes easier when we acknowledge and embrace God's sovereignty. It says here that the things that happened to me, all of his imprisonments and everything that led up to that, it's not just the fact that he was in prison that he's talking about there. He's talking about even how he got there and how it was an unjust imprisonment. In fact, to the point of, if you were to read in Acts, you would see that Agrippa told the Festus, he said, look, if this man hadn't appealed to Caesar, he wouldn't be going to prison. He's done nothing worthy of imprisonment. But Peter, excuse me, Paul had appealed to Caesar and said, I want to go be tried before Caesar. And so he had to go to Rome. And this is what led to the imprisonment here that where he's at now. And so he says all the things that have happened, all the things, the, the false reports, all of those things that have served to advance the gospel. The word serve there has the idea it's that it was an action that has happened in the past but the action, the effects of that action just keep continuing on and keep going on and on and on. He said that, that the things that have happened here, it is serving and is continually serving to do good things. Jerry Bridges, I didn't bring the book in with me. I was going to bring it in so I could show it to you. But if I put it on Facebook uh, this last week, I believe every Christian should read the book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. 
Uh, several years ago, I read it for the first time, and it was paradigm shifting for me. It was just an excellent study in trusting God when things aren't going well. And I'm rereading it now. I'll finish it today. And it's just a, a great book. But he says this. He says on page 37, if there's a single event in the entire universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust him. If there's a single event that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust him. What is he saying there? He's saying that everything that happens is for a purpose, and we can find hope in that when we trust and embrace God's sovereignty. No plan of God can be derailed. A few verses, just write down the references as you're taking notes. Job 42, verse 2. Job 42, verse 2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job said that to God. In Psalm 115, 3, David said, Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Again, in, no, excuse me, in Isaiah 43, verse 13, Isaiah 43, 13, also henceforth I, henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? He says, what I do, who can turn that back? What I do is final. Then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to his will. God is a sovereign God. And the more we know about God, the more we can interpret his actions, or the better we can interpret his actions. But see, the problem is, is when we start to question God's wisdom, when we start to question what, why would God be doing things, it's because we are forgetting about his character. And the more we study his character, the more we know about God and who he is, the more we can interpret things. And let me be the first to admit, there are things that happen in this world that I do not have answers for. And that's the thing about God's sovereignty is that it's not always apparent to us. We don't always have the answers in front of us. We don't always know exactly why things are happening. And God never tells us that he's going to tell us all those things. But that's where we have to understand who he is. Is he a good God? Yes or no? Yes, he's a good God. And so because he's a good God, because he cannot do evil, because he's a gracious and merciful God, we have to understand that there must be some other purpose that we do not see at that moment right now. There are things that happen all the time in this world that vex my soul, that bring tears to my eyes, and I cry out to God, why? Why? I don't see any benefit to this. But then I've got to go back to the Scriptures and back to who God is and say, but I don't have to see it, but I just know who you are and you're a good God because God has given us examples throughout Scriptures to teach us this. God's overarching purpose for all believers is to conform us to the image or to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. If you're a believer in Christ, this is the plan that God is currently working right now. He's doing this in your life right now. He is trying to shape you and mold you and make you into the image of Jesus Christ. And so in order for that to happen, things can't always be rosy. Things can't always be good. Let's think about the fruit of the Spirit for a quick second. That list in Galatians, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is is what? What's the first one? Love. love. Okay, can you truly know love without adversity? No, you can't. Because if everything's perfect, if everything's great, how do you know that it's love? 
Love is when, in the face of adversity or in the face of less than ideal circumstances, you choose to love that person. When you, take, when you took your marriage vows, for those of you who are married, when you take those marriage vows, you say things like, for in sickness and in health, in, in want or in plenty. What are you doing? You're promising to love that person regardless of the circumstances. You're saying that even if things go south, you're still going to love that person. Anouk and I, when we were married in 2002, we came back from our honeymoon, and we came back to the church where I was serving at that it ended up just because it was in the midst of a turmoil. I mean, it was awful. And eventually, unfortunately, the church went through, uh, two weeks later, uh, a, a terrible church split. Okay, and, and Anouk and I went through that. We've been married not even a month yet, and I came home from a long meeting when I knew this thing was falling apart at the seams, and I knew that um, I was going to lose my job. And so I went to my wife, who, 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 you know, I married three weeks now, okay, to, to, to this beautiful woman here, and I'm wanting to be this awesome husband and supportive and all this stuff. And so I look at her and I say, sweetie, remember that part for richer or for poorer? We're not richer, <laughs> okay? All right. Now, I'm thankful I have a godly wife who said, that's okay, I still love you. And, and you know, she didn't say in the midst of that adversity, this is not what I signed up for. You know, wow, you know, I thought we were going to have a lot of money on that youth pastor salary. Uh, so, um, you know, this is, not, this is not the response my wife had. My wife said, she said, it's okay, God will provide. And looking and going through that circumstance, it was a painful experience for both of us, but I needed it, and I benefited from going through that. And so love can only be fleshed out if, if there's adversity in the equation. I won't take time to go through all the fruit of the Spirit or the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit there, but you can do that exercise in your head. Play that tape through your head sometime where you start to see, can I really have these things without it being tested? And so the Christian life, you've got to understand, we are not here for this present age. We are here in preparation for eternity. And so God is conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, difficult circumstances are part of that equation. And so if we can trust God for our eternal state, can we not trust Him in the intermediate circumstances of life? If, if, if I were to ask you, you know, how many of you know for sure you're going to eternity, don't raise your hand, but if I were, and some of you would say, yes, I do, and I would say, how do you know that you have a relationship with God? You could give me a, 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 a gospel answer that says that I'm a sinner, my sin separates me from God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin after living a perfect life of obedience, he became the, the substitutionary atonement, he says, if I call upon the name of the Lord, I'll be saved, and so I'm calling upon the name of the Lord, and I'm trusting him to save me. And I would say that's a biblical answer, and it's a good answer. And so if you can trust God, if I can trust God for my eternal state, for my eternal forgiveness of my iniquities, if I can trust God for that, can I not trust God when the check engine light kicks on? And I know it's going to cost another 200 bucks. But you see, we get robbed of our joy in so many things, and when things don't go well at work, or things aren't, aren't exactly as they should be in our own mind, Paul here, he was trusting the sovereignty of God and he saw that he was working a greater plan. Now, like I said, God's sovereignty and his, and his plans are not always apparent. You know, don't turn there, again, because of time, but you can write this reference down if you want to study it later. But Acts 12, you, you, you know, consider Acts 12. We have, we have interesting thing happening in Acts 12. Uh, Peter's in prison. Okay, Peter gets thrown in prison. 
And how he got into prison was because uh, Herod had taken one of the apostles by the name of James, and he had him killed. And he saw that it brought favor to some people, and so Herod thought, man, once is good, twice will be better. And so he gets another apostle, the more outspoken one, Peter, throws him into prison and is going to execute him. Because of the holiday, he couldn't do it at that time, and so he had to wait a couple days. The church is earnestly praying for Peter to be released from prison. The church is gathered together, and God, in a miraculous fashion, answers this prayer request. And Peter is released from prison. Miraculously, he's gone. So there's a humorous story in Acts 12 there. Then he goes up to the, the, uh, the place where they're all meeting for this prayer meeting and knocks on the door. And they're up there praying, and they send the servant girl, you know, hey, hey, go, go see who that is. You know, we're, we're praying. We're praying for Peter to be, be released. And so Rhoda goes, and she opens the little, little latch to look out the gate, and there's Peter standing there. Well, she's so excited that she just turns and runs. doesn't even let the guy in. Okay, turns and runs back up and says, Peter is down there. And they're like, hey, you know, we're praying. You know, leave us alone. We're praying that God will release him. No, he's down there. Hey, stop talking. We're praying. <laughs> you know? And so finally they bring him in. And, and this is just a, a tremendous amount of rejoicing. Okay? I want you to put yourself in Peter's wife's shoes. She's earnestly praying. God, please, in your plan, release my husband. Imagine the joy in her soul when she sees that. Now put yourself in James's wife's shoes. Do you think she prayed for her husband? I think so. Do you think she wanted her husband to be spared for martyrdom? I think so. And so in that one text of Scripture, we have two apostles, and we have two prayers and two people earnestly praying for them, and God in one situation says, I will release you miraculously. But in the other situation, he says, you will be killed. We don't understand all the reasons why. But was God good in one and not good in the other? Was God gracious in one and not gracious in the other? Was God loving in one but not loving in the other? No. And Paul understands that when bad things happen here, he says it has served to advance the gospel. Is the, 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 the whole imperial guard has learned of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had access to these people whom he would, would have not had access to if he had not been in prison. In fact, they did a rotation of when they changed the, uh, the, the guard because they were chained to, to him at a time. And one commentator I was reading, as he said, he kind of thought, using his imagination, that probably when they ever changed the guard, uh, Paul probably thought, oh good, another one to talk to another one to talk to. And so Paul understood that God was using this according to his plan. Bridges also said this, he said, trusting God is not a matter of my feelings, but of my will. I never feel like trusting God when adversity strikes, but I can choose to do so even when I don't feel like it. The act of will, though, must be based on belief, and beliefs must be based on truth. And so when adversity strikes, we're not going to feel like trusting God all the time. In fact, we have to fight against that. And that's why we are robbed of our thankfulness and joy too often. 
But when we study God and who God is, that begins to shape our theological base. And so then when something bad happens, we can, instead of being focused on the event and how awful it is, we can say, but what do I know about God? What do I know about his character and who he is? And then that will then help us to go through that circumstance and that situation. The illustration, it's, it was mentioned in uh, the Adult Discipleship Hour uh, by Wayne, and I, and I believe by my wife as well in her class, the illustration of, of Joseph. I've um, been thinking a lot about Joseph lately, and I believe this is a good illustration of here. The story of Joseph goes very quickly that he was... Uh, sold into slavery by his brothers after they first thought that they wanted to kill him. But then one of the brothers said, no, that's probably too harsh. Let's, let's do something better and let's sell him. Okay, so they sold him to uh, a traveling group into slavery. Fast forward, uh, he, he's in prison. Uh, he's then released from prison. He's forgotten about. He's falsely accused of uh, immoral act and uh, gets thrown back in prison. And so you see this life of Joseph where it seems like every time he starts to get ahead, then something bad happens. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe financially it's like, oh, we just start getting ahead, and then boom, something else happens, okay? Joseph can identify, okay? Everything, it seems like just as soon as things are going well, then something bad happens. Fast forward the story again. Joseph then, in, uh, he interprets a dream, and he begins, he gets favor but in the pharaoh's eyes and so he rises to prominence and so he becomes second in command in the country of egypt a terrible famine comes through and so people have to come to egypt for food because joseph led he had wisdom from god to store up food and so joseph's brothers then come to pharaoh looking for food and so they got to stand before joseph they didn't recognize joseph because so many years have passed but he had recognized them and so what had happened was, is Joseph had a forgiving spirit, and so he forgave his brothers. And so the family moves into Egypt, uh, uh, the brothers, Joseph's dad, and everything. Joseph's dad dies. And so in Genesis chapter 50, we come to a situation where then Joseph's brothers are afraid because dad's now gone, and they felt that the only thing that was protecting them from Joseph and a revengeful spirit was the fact that dad was alive. Dad's gone, so they're afraid. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 20, Joseph then talks to his brothers, and he tells them something. He says, no, you have no reason to be afraid. And he tells them that he understands God's plan. He says this, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we can talk about all the significance of that and how it really protected the, the, the line of Judah, where the, the Messiah would come from. And so God was using that to protect that from that, the, the attack of the enemy. And so we see in the illustration of Joseph that, that even though it was terrible and things were bad, and things bad, uh, bad things were happening to him, God was using it for his good. One, one quick thing, one quick illustration about this. When I uh, was working a job in, in healthcare, I, was, um, I worked in the administration office, and I was the assistant to the campus administrator, and we had a, it was a large uh, retirement community where I worked. And I remember we were going through this, I remember we went through this time where um, we had some personnel, the director of maintenance and things like that, uh, had to leave. And so my boss said, Jeremy, I need you to go in and I need you to lead maintenance for a little while. Now, or help lead that. Now, if you know anything about me, um, that just seems like a bad idea, 
okay? Uh, you know, I know which hand, which, which, uh, which, uh, which end of the hammer to hold, um, but only on a multiple choice test, okay? Um, I'm just not, it's just not my giftedness, okay? Um, and so, but she wanted someone to the leadership and kind of organize it and things like that. Well, it was, it was full of drama and it just, it was, it was, it was taxing. It was very difficult. And plus all the other duties I had. And so I was, I was frustrated sometimes at work. It was like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. And I've got to do this and things like that. Well, we eventually got a director of maintenance and then I, I could not do that anymore. Well, the CEO of the company, my boss came to me and they, they said, you know, you did a really good job and thanks for doing this. It wasn't your job, but we asked you to do it and you did it. And so, you know, we wanted to give you a bonus. And they gave me a check. And then that check allowed us to go visit my mother-in-law in France. I, we wouldn't have been able to, we most likely wouldn't have been able to go to France and visit my mother-in-law unless I had gotten that bonus. And I wouldn't have gotten that bonus unless I would have had to do that extra work that I really didn't want to do. God knew what needed to be done in order to get us to be able to do that. And so he was working his plan. And so that's the only point here is that as we look at Paul and we see how he interacted, he was thankful because he recognized and embraced God's sovereignty. The second point and our final point this morning is this. Thankfulness becomes easier when we consider other people rather than just ourselves. Thankfulness becomes easier when we consider other people rather than just ourselves. Do you see what he did here? He said in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so he recognized how the situation that he was in was affecting other people. It wasn't just about him. It was rather that other people were being empowered and emboldened. And so we are robbed of thankfulness and joy when we only think of ourselves and our being inconvenienced. And so when that check engine light comes on, that, that might mean some much-needed income for that mechanic. And maybe God is using that to provide for their needs. Or when that check engine light comes on, that might provide, and that does provide actually, a teachable moment for your children. To say, you see, it's inconvenient, this isn't what I had planned, but God is good God, and He is in control of these things. And so God presents us with teachable moments. And so we only take those teachable moments, though, when we are thinking of other people, rather than the fact that I am not getting my way. And that's what it really boils down to. You know, I, I, I've often said this before because I've, I've spent years working with teens and children, and I love children's ministry, love teen ministry. Um, and I always said this to adults. I would say, you know, we're no better. We just have a different way of saying, I'm not getting my way. We have a different way of stomping our feet. But that's really what we're doing. When we cry out against God or when we get a bad attitude or, or we don't uh, you know, give people a cold shoulder, things like that, that really is just a temper tantrum, saying, God, I'm not getting my way. But Paul here, he says he took it not think of just himself and his inconvenience, but of how it was affecting other people. And so we go through afflictions and trials so that we, have, uh, so that we can have the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in our lives and so that we can in turn comfort other people. Another reference to write down if you're taking notes, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a great text that talks about how that we receive comfort when we go through trials so for the purpose of that we can then in turn comfort other people. We have to think of other people when we're going through difficulty. And so in our text, there's really two groups of people here that he talks about, that he thinks about. One, the guards, and then the, the brotherhood. 
And so Paul could be thankful amidst the suffering and in less than ideal circumstances because he was thinking of other people rather than just his own comfort. When we spend most of our lives, while we, when we spend most of our lives serving the God of comfort and ease, we, fe- we fail to see the blessings that trials bring to us. And we definitely don't see them as gracious gifts from God. I think too often we do, and I, I say we, inclusive, we seek to serve the God of comfort and ease way too much. And God doesn't always have that for us. And I don't stand here before you today pretending to know all of the reasons why God does what He does. I don't. I don't have those answers. But I do know this. Our God is a good God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a powerful God. In fact, in the darkest of circumstances, God will turn those into blessings and into things that will help other people and will be for our ultimate good and His glory. And then, that shows His power that much more. The bigger the problem, the greater the mind behind it that solves it. And so when that problem seems insurmountable to you and to me, when we see things in the news of child abuse, of parents who abuse their children, and you think how, and I think, I think how in the world can there be anything good from this? When God does turn that into something good, that just shows how awesome He is and how powerful He is. And so when we go through this life and these things happen, these minor inconveniences that tend to rob us of joy and thankfulness, let us go back to who God is and let that shape our understanding of what He is doing. And, and, let's, and let's just be okay with the fact of not knowing. Let's just be okay with that we may never know why God does something. But let's trust Him that it is for His glory and our good. So as I conclude, let me just ask you these questions, or let me just say this. The question really before us here is a question of worship. Can you worship God when circumstances are bad? The question before us is a question of faith. Do you have faith in God that He will work things for His glory and your good? And then we have the question before us, the question of trust. Do you trust Him that He will not harm you unnecessarily? At the end of the day, are you willing to worship a God when you, fully, when you do not fully understand all of His plans? Are you willing to trust God that He is doing everything for His glory and for our good? So we're in a, thank, we're in a Thanksgiving season now. And we'll sit around the table and we'll say, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm thankful for my trials? That's a biblical statement. Be thankful because God is teaching us through those things. Let's pray.